This is what the Lord says. This is the Lord Jehovah. Let not the wise man boast of his wisdom, or the strong man boast of his strength, or the rich man boast of his riches, but let him who boasts, boasts about this, that he understands and knows me. This is what the Lord says. Now, I know in Northern Ireland we don't boast about anything, not, out, not outwardly anyway. Some of the other versions use the word glory in, or think it's very important. Let not the wise man boast of his wisdom, his education. Let not the strong man glory in his strength, his health, his fitness. Let not the rich man glory in his riches, his money, his possessions. But let him who glories glory in this, that he understands and knows me. This is what the Lord says. We get from this that God wants us to understand and know him. He's bringing out, this is more important than anything else in our lives, that we understand and know him. More important than anything else. And not only does it give us that impression that uh, he feels it's important, we get the impression that he wants to help us to know him. We can understand and know him. I suppose the question comes, how important is it to me? God says, I want you to understand and know me. Those words really are reiterated through Scripture. Jesus himself, as he talked of eternal life, you know that eternal life that we receive when we receive Jesus as our Savior. When we're born into the family of God, it's a new birth into eternal life. And I suppose part of us, we, we think, well, that's forever. And, and maybe there's another part of us thinks, well, that's for after I die. I'll keep the eternal life in my pocket for a while. And then when I die, then I can cash it in and I will live in heaven forever. Jesus, as he prayed to the Father in John 17, said, this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. What is eternal life? Eternal life is knowing God, the only true God, and his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul got that, didn't he? Philippians 3. I I always sense a passion in his words as he speaks. He's spoken of how religious he was, of how good he was, how passionate he was. And then he says, but I consider everything as a loss. All of that is a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Knowing him as Savior and Lord, that's worth more than all the other things. All the religiosity, all the goodness, all the passion. Knowing him. Peter, towards the end of his life, as he wrote his letters, and those letters are written very much to us. 
God wanted to speak to us through those letters of Peter as he spoke to a people who were living in a world that didn't really understand or want to know God and was persecuting his people, making life difficult for his people. And Peter writes, Grace and peace be yours in abundance. Well, we would like that, wouldn't we? We want the grace of God in abundance. We want to know the peace of God in abundance. He says, grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. That's where we find it, through knowing him. Peter goes on to say, he's given us everything we need for life and godly living through our knowledge of him. We can't live this life for him. We can't live a godly life without knowing him. Peter just goes on in that second letter over and over again. He says, we escape the corruption of the world. And we're very aware of the corruption of the world that we live in. We escape it by knowing our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And he finishes his letter. Probably the last words we have of Peter. He says, grow in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. God says, let him who glories, glory about this, that he understands and knows me. It's important to God. It's necessary for us to know him. So I could tell you what I know about him or my knowing of him, or I could ask you, well, you tell me what you know of him. If we ask many people, we probably get a lot of different answers, but there's only one place that we can find the actual truth, and that's to go to God himself. And so we're going to ask that question this morning. Who are you, God? We, we understand that we need to understand you and know you, but who are you? Moses had a revelation of God out at a burning bush in the wilderness. Moses knew about God. His mother had taught him about God. He had been brought, even though he had the privileges of a, uh, of a palace upbringing in a foreign land, he knew that he belonged to the people of God. So he knew God, and yet somehow we don't read that he really knew or that God, that he had had a revelation of God in his life. Later on, as life just uh, settled down, married, couple of boys, now looking after his father's, uh, his father-in-law's sheep in the wilderness. Isn't that lovely? Just quiet, no stress. He had had enough stress in life when he was younger. No stress now. Everything fine. And then out there with no one else about, suddenly in front of him is a bush burning. I don't know whether it's a little small bush or I imagine it was probably quite a big bush. The flames were coming out of it. It wasn't just smoldering. The flames were coming out of it. And yet as he looked, it wasn't being consumed. It wasn't being burnt up. 
and he went over to see it. And there God spoke to Moses. And God revealed himself to Moses in a way that Moses had never known God before. I pray that as we look at Moses' experience, that we too will come to know this God and who he is. Who are you, God? Let's read from Exodus chapter 3. I'm just going to read the first 10 verses. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the far side of the desert and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you're standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. Now the cry of Israel, Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go, I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. As we read this, we discover that God is revealing himself to Moses. He reveals himself as the all-powerful one. Moses had gone over to see a bush that was burning and yet wasn't burnt up. No problem for God. As God spoke to him, Moses realized this is no problem for God. Nothing is impossible with God. Remember the angel speaking to Mary, telling her about her relative Elizabeth that was going to give birth in her old age? Nothing is impossible with God. This is the all-powerful God that Moses was dealing with and who's revealing himself to us even this morning. He's the all-seeing God. Twice we read that. First time as Moses walked over to the bush, God saw that he had walked over. Moses probably thought, I can't see anyone else in the wilderness. I'm alone here with my sheep. But he wasn't. God saw everything. He saw what Moses was doing. And in verse 7, we read that God says, I see my people in Egypt. 
And I see the misery of my people there. God revealed himself as an all-seeing God. He sees everything. These, these are not new things in one sense. We know about this, about God. But knowing that truth, nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. God sees everything. Well, there's things that Moses could hide from others. There's things that we can hide from others. God is an all-seeing God. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. He also revealed himself as the eternal God. He told Moses, I'm the God of your father, your father Amram. I'm his God. Then he went on to say, I'm the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. You know, when I first read these, I just think, oh, well, that's just the generations going back. Until I look into it and, and just look at it a bit deeper. Moses would have known about Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. They were his ancestors. He would have been told about them by his mother. They lived something like 500 years before Moses was born. 500 years? Some of you might be interested in tracing your ancestry. I don't know if anyone has found some of their ancestors from 500 years ago. And God was telling Moses, I'm their God. I'm not just God now to you. I'm not just God to your father. I am God to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob. I'm the eternal God. Later on, Moses, we have one of his prayers to God in Psalm 90, verses 1 to 2. And it says this. This is Moses, a prayer of Moses, a man of God. It says, Lord, you have been our dwelling place throughout all generations. Before the mountains were born, or before you brought forth the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. He's always been God. He's God of heaven above and earth below. There is no other. And he always will be God. He's the eternal God. And the other thing that God revealed to Moses that day in that wilderness was, I am holy. Remember he told him, take off your sandals. You're standing on holy ground. Moses had been listening to God speaking to him in the flames through that, in that bush. And when God told him to take off his sandals, as he stood on holy ground, suddenly things were different for Moses. We read that he hid his face. He was afraid to look at God. Actually, when we come to Stephen's account in Acts 7, he says Moses trembled before God. As God revealed his holiness 
to Moses. Moses trembled. I don't know what you think about the holiness of God. We've just been singing, holy, holy, holy. Singing with smiling, with joy to be able to acknowledge God's holiness. I wonder what it would be like to really see the holiness of God. Moses trembled before it. We know about Isaiah when he had that vision and he saw God in the temple high and lifted up and the angels of seraphim flying around shouting, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And Isaiah said, Oh, wonderful, we have a holy God. No, he didn't. As he looked at God and as he heard these angels singing, holy, 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 his response was, woe to me. I'm ruined. I am a man of unclean lips. That's what the holiness of God does. When we recognize the holiness of God, we recognize our sinfulness. Oh, before others, we don't see our sinfulness. Oh no, we can compare ourselves with others and we always manage to compare ourselves quite favorably with others. But as we stand before the holiness of God, if God was to reveal his holiness to us, I think we would be like Isaiah. I think we would be like Moses, trembling before him. God's holiness separates him from us. God is separate from sin. God cannot allow it to remain. God must judge that sin. It has to be dealt with because a holy God cannot just say, oh, forget about it. Ah, it's only a small thing. Oh, I forgive you. Everything's fine. Don't worry about it. He's a holy, holy, holy God that separates us. He can't look on sin. It's this holy God that prepared and created a lake of fire for the devil and his angels. Yes, a holy God prepared that because he cannot abide sin. And we're also told that a holy God on that day of judgment, will cast into that lake of fire not just the devil and his angels, but those who have not received his Son as their Savior, those who have not received that eternal life that is offered through the Lord Jesus, will be cast into that lake of fire for eternal torment. This is the holiness of God. Oh, I can't describe it to you. We can't grasp it except to know that our sin separates us from a holy God. We prefer to think of God as a friend, the one who's there. When I've got troubles or difficulties, I just pray he's there for me. God is there to, to answer my prayers. God is kind. God is always there. It's true. But it's also true, as he revealed himself to Moses that day, that he is a holy God. That wasn't the all revelation 
to Moses that day. As we read on from verse 7 onwards, we read these words. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers. I am concerned about their suffering. I have come down to rescue them and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land. You get some of those words? I see the misery. I hear their call. I have come down. I will rescue. I will bring up. That day Moses got to hear about a God of compassion. God revealed himself as a God who is compassionate. Yes, he sees all. And he sees our situation before him. He sees our sinfulness and how that sinfulness means that we're still under his condemnation. We're still under the wrath of God for judgment for our sin. We're still heading to a lake of fire. God says, I see the misery of your situation. I see it. And I hear your cry. This is one of the most wonderful attributes of God. Not just that he hears. But when we cry out to him as sinners and recognize our sinfulness, stop making excuses before him. Stop telling him how good I am. And when I realize my sinfulness before a holy God and realize the terrible situation I'm in and I call out to him, he hears that call. Over and over we see that through his word. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Saved from the judgment. Saved from the lake of fire. Saved from our sin. Everyone who calls on the Lord will be saved. He's a God of compassion who hears our call. Are you calling? Do you recognize your situation before God? Are you calling out to Him? And this God says, I have come down. You see, He's provided the way that He can cleanse us from our sin, forgive our sin. He's done it by coming down to this earth as a person of His Son, as he walked in this earth and then he went to the cross and there on the cross, all our sin was put upon him and the wrath of God, the judgment of God was poured on the Lord Jesus for your sin and for mine. He came down to rescue us. That's the compassion of our God. He didn't stay up there and say, look, you need to sort yourself out. I'm sorry, there's nothing I can do. I'm a holy God. He came down and he bore our sin in his own body on the tree. God showed his compassion. He showed his love. We all know how easy it is to say, I love you. 
God tells us that. John 3.16. He loved the world so much. God loves each one of us. Of course he does. But the problem needs to be sorted out. So what did he do? Well, God demonstrated his love in this way. While we were still sinners separated from him, Christ died for our sins. He died for us. Oh, that we can grasp the compassion and love of God, not just to put his arms around us, make our life nice and easy, to give us peace and to give us, make things better. But a God who was willing to come down and to rescue by taking the punishment for our sin. That's love. That's compassion. Beyond what we could ever understand. But it's true. I have come down to rescue. Paul wrote to some uh, church in Thessaloniki in northern Greece. He had been hearing about some there who had come to know Jesus as their own Savior, who had trusted in him. And he writes about that in First Thessalonians 1. And he says, I've heard that you have turned to God from the idols, from your old life, from your old religion, From your old way of doing things. You've turned away from that. And you've turned to God. And you're waiting for his son. The Lord Jesus who rescues us. From the wrath to come. No one else can rescue us from the wrath to come. But Jesus can. He rescued those people in Thessaloniki. And he rescues us as we call out to him and receive him as our savior. But more than that, the love of God just goes on and on. His compassion goes, not just will I rescue you, but he told Moses, I'm going to take you to a special land, your own land. A land flowing with milk and honey. And he says that to us too. I will rescue you, but not just rescue you from the lake of fire, from the judgment. I will bring you up to be with me for all eternity in heaven. Again, Paul writing to those believers in Thessaloniki, said, the Lord himself will come down from heaven and we will be caught up with him in the air and so we will be with him forever. Our God's compassion, our God's love goes beyond what we could ever understand. I see the dreadful situation you're in. I hear your call. Have we called out to him? In understanding our situation before him? I've done it. I came down, he said. Just as he had said to Moses, I came down to you, Moses. I've come down to my people in Egypt. And he would tell us, I've come down to you to take your sin, the punishment for your sin. I will rescue you. 
and bring you up. Do you know this, God? He says, glory in this, that you understand and know me. Do you understand him? Do you understand what he has done? Do you understand what he wants to do? Do you understand who he is? Do you understand why we need to be rescued? Do you understand how we can be brought up to be with him forever, with the Lord forever in glory? Glory in this, that you understand and know me. That's what the Lord says. Moses had quite a revelation that day at that burning bush of this God. God who wanted to use him to lead his people out of Egypt. Moses didn't want to. (laughs) Made all sorts of excuses. But in the end he went. And he saw God at work. God showed himself in so many ways. Through the plagues in Egypt. Through the crossing of the Red Sea. Through the provision of the, the manna and the quail in the wilderness and the water. Through the giving of his law, through the new covenant that he gave to his people, even though in a matter of a few days they had broken their part of it. Moses saw all of that. So Moses, you know God, don't you? And probably, I don't know, I can't find out the time scale, probably only about a year after God revealed himself at the burning bush, Moses said these words to God. Teach me your ways so that I may know you. I want to know you more. I don't understand and know you fully yet. (laughs) So much had been revealed to him. He said, teach me your way. God, teach me. Because I want to know you. You want to know God? Not only as a sinner coming and calling out to him, but also as a child of God who has received Jesus as Savior and Lord. Is that enough? Enough to have eternal life in your pocket? Or do you want to understand and know him? Let's pray. Father, this morning, I want to know and understand you more. Moses wanted that. Paul wanted that. And Father, this morning, here in the seats here, there are ones who are saying that to you, even this morning. I want to understand and know you. Teach me your way. I pray, Father, this morning that as your Spirit speaks to our hearts, that you will find hearts that respond, that call out to be saved, that call out to know your ways, that call out to know you better. Help us, Father, we pray. We ask this in the name of the one who came down and who took our sin on himself our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.